1923, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle published a report on the mediumship of William Hope. Seventeen years earlier, Hope had discovered that he was able to procure, quoting here, extra faces, figures, or objects, that is to say, on photographic plates. The only stipulation Hope made was that he had to be the one pressing the button when the photograph was taken. That was the magic. Otherwise, he allowed Doyle considerable access to his process developing the photos. This, as it turned out, was a regular feature of his spirit photography. He invited his customers back to the dark room to watch him transfer the plates into the dark slide and to mark the plates he used before taking the picture so you knew that he wasn't switching them out. Hope was not the first to demonstrate this skill, interestingly enough. That honor goes to William Mumler, who had been the first to produce spirit photographs beginning all the way back in 1860, when he claimed to capture an image of his dead cousin's spirit in a self-portrait. His most famous portrait was of Mary Todd Lincoln, taken sometime between 1869 and 1872, showing her late husband, President Abraham Lincoln, standing over her. You can Google that if you want. Mumler's photographs are widely regarded as frauds today. A court trial revealed that Mumler was most likely producing double-exposed photographs stolen from the homes of his subjects. That's right, he was breaking into people's homes, and they often included images of people who were still living. Oof. Mumler's fake photographs very naturally inspired skepticism in Hope's spirit photographs, which came up decades later. Although, signs of a cynical performance weren't as evident in Hope's work as they had been in Mumbler's. The faces that appeared were harder to place, and none of them in Hope's photographs could be ascribed to anyone who was alive. Furthermore, Hope and his associates, who they called the uh, Crew Circle, or they called themselves the Crew Circle, I should say, they did not seem to have broken into anyone's home. That's important. Was Hope producing legitimate photographs of actual human souls? Today on Occult Confessions, souls on film, or uh, or rather old-timey photographic plates. My name is Dr. Rob C. Thompson, Supreme Hierophant of your Secret Order of Alchemical Actors, joined by our Grand Master, my partner in crime, Olivia Litterall. Hello! My partner in breaking into people's homes and stealing oh. their photos. <laughs> I mean, that'd be fun. We should, we should start doing that. We have time, right? Do you think anyone would notice if we broke into your home and we were really, you know, careful about it and only took the photographs? Yeah. I mean, I guess if it's like they're framed photographs on the wall, they might. <laughs> they might We just like that. put the frames back. <laughs> Now, here's something funky before we pledge it out. Olivia, I'm going to say like three weeks ago, maybe, is that right? Sent me a text message saying, hey, Rob, these ghost orbs, do you think they're real? She didn't even know we were doing this. What's that about? Why were you into ghost orbs three weeks ago? I feel like anyone that's uh, following me on Instagram might know what I'm talking about, even though it was a while ago. I randomly was like taking a video and I was like talking and then I like played it like afterwards and i was gonna delete it because i was like this is dumb but there's a little like little maybe dust thingy you know you never know it can be dust particles if you go to your room shake out your sheets take a quick picture with the flash on you'll catch reflections of light on the dust particles um but some of these things can be quite mysterious i encourage people to do things like you know zoom in on the orb and see if there's, you know, more detail to it, um, or if it looks like there's that dust particle in the center. 
Uh, or I, what I said to Olivia, I think in, when I responded was you look for other things that were happening at the time that you got the image, you know, was there a like weird sounds. smell or yeah, sensation? Yeah. yeah. We sort of try to triangulate that paranormal experience, but you're right, Olivia, it, it is, it, there are natural explanations for orbs. Yeah. So it was, it was the way it like, it like did a little, little whoop-de-woo and it went up like it like did a little whoop. I don't know how to explain it. I, I get sometimes they behave weirdly. You're right. I mean, would a dust particle, sometimes we'll see these orbs moving around. If you've got a, a moving picture, moving picture, what am I saying? A video. A video? <laughs> <laughs> Is this episode already like taking you back? Yeah, I'm already in, in 1905. If you've got one of them Nickelodeons playing, uh, <laughs> if you've got a video then yeah, maybe the the dust particle is moving in a strange fashion uh, i don't know i don't know if the laws of physics or the motion of the wind in your in your house the air airflow would d- explain it mm. right let's pledge it out we the members, members of, the of the secret order, order of alchemical, alchemical actors, actors do solemnly commit ourselves to a, to a full and honest, and honest telling, telling of the history of the, of the occult, occult as far as, as, we, as know we know it, it. all right now olivia i'm gonna maybe upset you i don't know here's what's happened i've made the decision (laughs) it's upset me right (laughs) six minutes into this recording (laughs) i've made the uh decision that uh, we're retiring the three plugs and moving the order of confessors up to this portion of the episode because we've sort of been doing the reviews and patrons and all that anyway right up here so what that requires, maybe this won't upset you. Maybe you'll be delighted by the improvisational challenge here. Oh, what that God, requires, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you remember how you opened and closed the plugs, yes? Uh, it, it varied, but sure, yes. It, so that's what that's what we need. We now need some kind of thing that you do uh, to open the Order of Confessors. Oh, is this where you want me to just make something up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because... This is where you. This is where you sound into the into the world. Rob, I really have no idea. <laughs> what? Right, ready, ready, ready. Olivia, uh, open up that order of confessors. It's the order of confessors. That it's actually happening is, that's good. right now. Yeah, We're that's not bad. Confess some stuff to each other <laughs> right now. <laughs> that was so intricate. That was way more than I expected. I'll never remember what I just said. That's great. That's sort of that's the joy. I think um, we want to welcome welcome our new patrons: Alexa P, Brandon A, the Polysaturated Podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, I believe that's about polyamory. I I checked it out a bit. So that's what fun. I was going to assume by the name, but yeah, yeah, they are saturated polywise. Hmm. Ikra, Corvid. Let me say that again. Corvid, not to be confused with a uh, popular pandemic <laughs> virus. Colin W. and Mikey W. Welcome, friends. Welcome. We also want welcome to the fam and a pledge bump from Suzanne and uh, Venama. In an, oh. Uh, oh, I didn't finish. Uh, sorry, I, I cut oh. myself off. <laughs> it's Venama in an M. Venama in M. Oh. You know. Did we send something? We did, yeah. You've sent Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. The post office here was <laughs> cool, confused. Uh, I, we really had, I had to help the post office through that one. Vena but Manin, beautiful. Enjoy, enjoy that you confused our post office. 
<laughs> small town post office yeah i also want to just plug a couple of things here in our order of confessors youtube is a thing it's going we're doing stuff uh, i've actually got some some of it is you know me me rehashing content some of it is new content though i did an episode on the five immortal witches you should know uh, i've got an episode coming out about uh, a supernatural engine that was developed in the 19th century Oh. Or so John Keeley says, uh, I think his name is John. So Keeley says, anyhow, check it out. Go over a call confessions on YouTube. Olivia's going to be developing, uh, some content for YouTube as well. It's going to be our, our next big thing. So, uh, by all means get over there and, uh, what do they say? Smash that like button. Oh no, we're not. I don't know. We're I don't say that. People. I don't say that on YouTube, but it's, it's a YouTube thing. Is it not? Subscribe. You so know. Like, and subscribe, like, and subscribe. We say Smash that here. Smash that like button. We okay. say that on the. We don't smash anything because, yeah, it's your phone. Maybe we should. Smash that <laughs> follow button. I don't know what it is. Speaking of smashing, Spotify has uh, stars now. I kind of like this. It's not, you don't get to write things about us. You just have to rate us one to five stars. So if you have not, all of our Spotify folks, this is your big chance to feed us some stars. I know that we can't then say anything about you, but our love is out there waiting for you if you just feed us some stars it's just lingering in the air around you mm. yeah is that all right is that weird <laughs> no i was just thinking about i was like huh you know that kind of rating system a lot better for my uh mental health yeah probably. right yeah. people aren't saying that you know we're ruining their lives or we're a trash the fire. female the female the females on this show yeah <laughs> Uh, and we want to give a shout out to Restricted Wares with a Z on the end there, uh, who sent us a lovely box of goodies. And Olivia has got some of those goodies hanging oh. in her in her house right now. Yes. Yeah. yeah. This shit is so cool. I brought it home uh, to my partner and they were like, whoa, put that on the wall. Like, That's what I brought it for. Restricted Wares, you can check them out on Instagram and I'm sure the rest of the internets. Uh, all right, Olivia, I, I don't want to hurt you, but can you close the Order of Confessors? We're closing up. It's closing time. We're closing up <laughs> the order of confessors. That is so good. That is so intricate. Done. Close the door. <laughs> Slam. Back to ghost photos. In, in addition to being the creator of the discerning and sharp-eyed Sherlock Holmes, Arthur Conan Doyle was an avid and sometimes credulous paranormal investigator. He wrote a history of the spiritualist movement. Think about that for a second. And was a member of the Society for Psychical Research. Fascinated by what he learned of Hope's process, remember that guy Hope at the beginning? Doyle decided to test the photographer, the supernatural ghost photographer Hope himself. He bought his own photographic plates, he marked them before they were placed in the camera, and he watched them as they were developed. The photograph that appeared amazed Doyle. This is a Doyle quote, Olivia, for you. Uh, he saw some ectoplasm hovering over his head, and uh, on the plate, somebody had written, Well done, friend Doyle. I welcome you to crew. Greetings to all. T. Kali. There is a hazy cloud covering us of what I will describe as ectoplasm, though my critics are very welcome to call it cotton wool if it eases their feelings to do so. In one corner appears a partial materialization of what seems to be the hair and forehead of a young man. Across the plate is scrawled, Well done, friend Doyle. I welcome you to crew. Greetings to all. T. Collie. 
Right. Uh, and the crew, welcome to the crew. Uh, that was the name of their little supernatural oh, right. seance circle, yeah. <laughs> what? Sort That's kind of like, weird. Isn't it? Yeah, the crew Wait, circle. But he was like there the whole time. Well, the archdeacon, he was there in the beginning and then he died no, and meant... then his spirit. Oh, Doyle. Yeah. Yeah, Doyle watched all this happen. You, you can't really watch the plate develop because that'll overexpose it. So that right. it's developing in the camera, but he's present from the time the plate goes in the camera till the time the picture's taken. Huh, okay. Doyle had hoped to get a photograph of his son, who had died the year before, but was unsuccessful in this initial attempt. The next day, using Hope's own plates, he did succeed in getting an image of a man looking about eight years younger than his son was when he died, but this image was not persuasive enough for Doyle to count it as substantive evidence of Hope's paranormal skill. So, hold on, question. Is... Did Doyle, so I know you said that, you know, he wrote about the history of spiritualism and the, but was he like a skeptic? Like that was just like, honestly, in no. the society or like, was he? He was tended to be more pro every medium he met. Uh, he had a okay. famous sort of like disagreement with Houdini. Harry Houdini That's was. kind of what I was like wondering because yeah. this is the same. They would have been. Around the same time, right? Absolutely. And Houdini yeah. was the arch skeptic when it came to mediumship, right. whereas Doyle tended to be, you know, the sort of like, unfortunately, the gullible believer, no matter how ridiculous the phenomenon, Doyle was like, look at that. kind of interesting considering like, you know, Sherlock Holmes yeah, is right. like, <laughs> okay, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Sherlock Holmes penetrates through all the bullshit, but Doyle's yeah. like, yep, that's totally a ghost in that picture. That's kind of funny. Okay, continue. Hope also took a photograph of the members of the Society for the Study of Supernormal Pictures, which is what we were going to call the alchemical actors originally, right? But it was already taken. Uh, And he took this photograph at their meeting. Hope took the plate from his own secretary and a face surfaced again, much larger and superimposed over the whole assembly. One of the members actually recognized the face as resembling his deceased father. Scientist and paranormal investigator William Crooks also experimented with Hope in his own lab, and a white circle appeared, hovering over him like a moon with a face inside the circle. Major R.E.E. Spencer experimented with his own camera plates and darkroom, and in Spencer's investigation, Hope's only contact was with the camera button to take the picture, still reasonably persuasive results. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. So far, so good. Bear in mind, though, when we get about, you know, resembling people's fathers and stuff, you got this whole crew of guys and some ladies sitting in for this picture. Somebody's going to be like, yeah, that kind of looks like my dad. If you look at these pictures, uh, like I said earlier, the faces are kind of vague. So, you know, you're going to see what you're going to see. Is this all black and white or is this like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, black and white. Okay. That Kodachrome wasn't going to come around for a while. Well, any I feel like people definitely look like you're so and so in an old black and white picture, right? Like, Olivia, if know. Olivia was looking at your family photos, she would see her own relatives. Yeah, I mean, eventually, right? Especially well, that one, if they're that's just my like layered over top, like hazy, like I don't know. If Olivia's hanging out with our Swedish listeners at their homes, looking at their photo mm-hmm. album, she's definitely seeing her cousins, her sisters, yep. aunts, uncles. They're all right up there in your photo album. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Doyle's account, while vehement, was a fairly inadequate response to a 17-page pamphlet 
named Cold Light on Spiritualistic Phenomena by SPR member Harry Price. That's a sick name. Harry Price? No, the title. Oh, I Cold mean, Light on Spiritualistic Phenomena, yeah. Harry Price is a fine name. Pretty <laughs> generic, but... <laughs> but you like the title of the pamphlet. Yeah, it was dramatic. Yeah, yeah. We might say cold water today. Uh, Price was the latest investigator to join the fray in the Hope Phenomena and was one of the first to take a stand against them. Outraged by Price's argument that Hope's photographs were frauds, Doyle had led a group of over 80 people to quit the Society for Psychical Research, claiming that the Society was anti-spiritualist. Yeah, this was a big moment. He led like a whole uh, civil war. Yeah. Uh, I've always wanted to mention this moment in the SPR's history because we do talk about the SPR quite a bit. I'm I'm fascinated by the first few decades of SPR from Frederick Myers up to Doyle. Uh, this is quite a this is quite a minute. Price publishes this th- seven, these seventeen pages, and Doyle loses his ever loving mind and takes half the society <laughs> and goes away. That's so dramatic. I love it. <laughs> I mean, that was Doyle. He was he was a character. I mean, I mean, think about the Sherlock Holmes stories. There's always a melodrama at the heart of the mystery. You know. Plus, he wrote so many that yes. it's like yeah <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what were we saying in 1922? Back to Harry Price, he investigated Hope's claims. So let's hear about what was in those 17 pages that so upset Doyle. After securing an appointment with Hope for a sitting, Price went to a photographic plate manufacturer, namely the Imperial Dry Plate Company, with which we are all familiar. Oh, limited, sorry. Limited. Oh, now I'm familiar. Thank no, you. Oh, Rob, no, yes. Right, yes. <laughs> Coca-Cola, never heard of them. Coca-Cola LLC. Ah, right. Right, yes. <laughs> so Price was uh Price and the good people at the Imperial Dry Plate Company Limited uh decided on a surefire method for testing whether the medium hope was using the plates Price provided him with or somehow switching them out for his own plates. Oh, okay. We have decided as the best method that the plates shall be exposed to the X-rays, with a leaden figure of a lion rampant, the trademark of the Imperial Company, intervening. The centers of each set of four plates will be treated so that when the plates are placed in their proper order, the full design will be seen. This is the safeguard against the allegation that some of the plates may have been missed in the marking. Uh, Basically what they do is they put a watermark in between these four, so they've got four plates and they watermark right in the center so that it's like a lion. And so the pieces of the lion appear on all four and you need all four to put the lion together. You get what I'm saying? So it's just gotcha. right in the so middle. If they separate, if he right, okay, gotcha. if he subbed out even one of those, mm-hmm. then you wouldn't see that piece of the line, and they wouldn't all assemble. Interesting. All Did this. he know? But he knew. Well, Price knows, but he's not going to tell Hope. Oh, so he couldn't see it until it was not till it's developed. Yeah, it's a gotcha. watermark hidden inside the the print okay, in the in the plate. Is, this is smart. Yeah, Price is, is I love I love old timey paranormal investigation too because it's it involves all these like just like tricky spycraft. Yeah. So each of the four plates had one portion of the image of the lion, and together they formed the whole image. Two additional plates had half of a second logo, with the company oh keeping the last two plates to complete that image. Oh my god! Okay, so we got six so plates. Yeah. Okay. So they got four and four. We kept two out because the company would know when they put all of them together. The plates were sealed and kept by the Society for Psychical Research until they were passed to Hope to take his photographs. 
when Price arrived with fellow investigator James Seymour, Hope and his secretary, Mrs. Buxton, investigated the packets and asked if they had been tampered with. Price told them they had come directly from the manufacturer, which was true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Left out a little detail, but yes, true story. They did come right from the manufacturer. Hope allowed Price to handle and place the plates himself into the camera in the darkroom. So now Hope's not even touching them. Camera used two plates, and while Price was closing up the packet with the remaining two plates inside, Hope stepped away from him. This moment, it seems, is when he changed the slides out for his own. Dun, dun, dun. I was doing up the packet, and I saw him, as he backed, giving a half turn, two or three paces from the light, put the dark slide to his left breast pocket, and take it out again. Another one, without any talking or knocking. Hope offered to let Price mark the plates, as Doyle would do later. So they're in the camera already, and he's like, you want to just put a little mark on there so that you know that I didn't switch them out? But, says Price, the switch has already happened. The switch had already taken place. Price had marked the dark slide in which the plates were placed before the experiment began and noticed that these markings had disappeared. Price had brought flashlight plates, which resulted in quicker photographs, but Hope treated them both in exposure and in development as if they were regular plates. So by this point in history, you know how you would you would have to like sit for the photograph forever? Yeah. Back in the day. They had advanced beyond that. Like where they would do the like flash and then run to like take the picture, you know? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was a terrible description. <laughs> well, yeah, but you would have to sit and sit and sit and sit. Yeah, but then they like developed like where they would like go under the thing anyway well but these flashlight just means it went a lot quicker you didn't have to sit for as long so hope acted like they weren't these quicker photograph plates he acted like they were the old timey plates it's all old timey and the manufacturer's symbol when they developed them did not surface on either of the plates when they were developed (gasps) yeah by substituting yeah. his own plates inside the darkroom, Hope had fooled his sitters into believing they were genuine, or so he thought, but Price exposed the whole affair in his 17-page pamphlet, much to Doyle's consternation. Yeah. Well, why is Doyle that mad? Uh, uh, I, I mean, mean, like, I get why he's mad, because, like, his he really belief wanted has to believe, been... Yeah. Right, but, like, enough to be like, y'all, we're leaving. Like, get your shit all... 50 or whatever of you and let's go (laughs) i don't know i have no idea it it, it was frequently the case that doyle would get upset though when he wanted to believe a phenomenon and then it proved to be problematic huh yeah damn price must have felt really great though in my research i've always found hopes and mumler's spirit photographs kind of ridiculous and not because i knew the full stories of the images before i saw them i literally just researched that for this episode I instantly thought the images were fraudulent because they don't align with my experience experience of spirit photography. Spirit photography was a big part of my research on ghost tourism in Gettysburg, and those images tended to be colorful, but uh, very abstract. I saw swooping lights and glowing orbs and amorphous figures, but nothing like the faces in writing Hope's photographic plates displayed. In Phantasms of the Living, Frederick Myers emphasized the issue with ghost photographs, although that wasn't his subject when he asked... 
what ghost clothing is made of and how it's formed. <laughs> I think we, did we, I think I remember this from class, maybe. It's a ridiculous idea. It is when you think about it. <laughs> what is that made out of? How do, are they sewing? What is happening? If a human is uh, or possesses some ethereal being, it seems silly to say his pants do as well. For Myers, the way we see ghosts is our subjective psychic reaction to the presence of a spirit's disembodied consciousness. If a ghost, a non-material aspect of a human being separated from that human being's material body, were to show itself objectively on a camera lens, though, it would have to be a fairly abstract image. You see the difference I'm making here? Yeah, no, for sure. If you're going to see your grandma, you're not going to see her naked. Yeah. You're going to put some pants on her, but you're seeing the camera is not you. So the camera doesn't have that subjective, you know, view of it. Ah, right. So in theory, the camera should not be seeing, you know, anything that looks like a material entity. Even the body doesn't make much sense because we don't keep our bodies, do we? Mm -hmm. Uh, Logically, what we would expect Uh, is something abstract. Hope and Mumler didn't recognize the philosophical problem with their images, although they might have if they had read (laughs) some of the more serious contributors to the study of soul photography. And we're going to talk about those people right now. So it is fun to talk about silliness, and it is fun, I think, to talk about paranormal investigations gone uh, awry or that catch people out. Uh, But let's talk about the real deal here. We're going to talk about uh, two men, one of whom I think you, you've heard of before. The other may be new. The first one is Karl von Reichenbach. That sounds very familiar, but it's probably, I've heard of him probably from you. Well, I think you've heard of Reichenbach's phenomena, probably better known oh, as... Oh, is that the the freaking theater thing? Is that what we're talking no. about? No. <laughs> this is what you're saying, the theater. I'm talking about auras. No, the illusion? Oh. Uh, you oh, you're talking, you're talking about, about the... Pepler's ghost. Yeah, shit. I was like, what are you talking about? Yes, in the right. You're not far off, I guess, with Pepler's ghost. That's a kind of spirit image. But uh, Reichenbach's phenomena is the technical name for auras, for being able to see auras. Gotcha. Uh, And the second person we're going to talk about is the French doctor Hippolyte Baraduc. So German scientist Baron Karl von Reichenbach, French doctor Hippolyte Baraduc. We're going to start with Reichenbach. Karl von Reichenbach argued for the existence of the odd, with a one D, O D, which is a okay, (laughs) a fun, fun, odd, is a universal vital principle which he had named after the god Odin. Okay, that makes more sense now. I was like, why is it okay? Why is it odd? We should should have Brianna around. Although this doesn't get any further into Norse. This is it. This is the end of Norse paganism as far as it goes. Yeah. Well, he is German, so I guess it makes sense. And this was long before Hitler, so it's cool to talk about Odin and stuff. Uh, he was born in 1788. He married Friederike Louise Erhard and had five children with her, but they died young, all of them, and he never oh, had grandchildren. Sure. Damn. Erhard came from a rich family, so he married up, and Reichenbach lived off of her largesse and took his time exploring various fields of study. So he married a rich woman so that he could Damn. just screw around. It's like if I had married a rich woman and just like podcasted now. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Or, you know, screwed around. Did, did the things I do. <laughs> right. <laughs> Devised theater and podcasted and, you know, screwed around. Mm. He initially, but this is what his screwing around entailed. This is serious stuff. He initially focused on metallurgy and the carbonization of wood. He studied byproducts of carbonization, namely tar, and discovered paraffin. 
Oh, so science. This is real science. Yeah, he's a science man. Okay. (laughs) But science in the early 19th century was just screwing around. Like, it's just like guys who have nothing better to do. They're not getting paid for it. I mean, how else did Newton figure out his shit? Right. (laughs) He had to have the free time. I should be a teacher the way that I (laughs) explain things. I think that people would be more comfortable with it than sometimes how they hear it. In 1833, when a meteorite fell near Blasco, he turned his attention to the study of meteors. I mean, that's what I mean. He's just like, oh, look yeah. at that. That's cool. I mean, cool. this is still, this is science to me. <laughs> yeah, there's some science over there. I'm going to play with that. So he discovered the Blasco meteor with a team after an 11-day search. So it landed and, and then they, you know, they went out looking for Damn, it. Damn, yeah. that's sick. That's so fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's much, much more, uh, I don't know enlightening i think or at least feels better than searching for a body or something right yeah no no this is so much more fun yeah (laughs) he gathered one of the largest private collections of meteors actually and he developed a classification system for meteors shit he published was a meteor dude meteor dude he published 23 papers in organic chemistry and 28 papers on meteors okay so this is crazy how is he getting to any, continue. Right. It's a little bit like Alfred Russell Wallace, the guy, a co-discoverer of evolution who got way into the paranormal. This is Reichenbach. He he start, He's a very serious, science-minded, hard science guy, and then he develops an interest in paranormal phenomena, which, after all, manifest in the material world and are mysterious. Therefore, they're interesting to study. Isn't that kind of crazy to think about? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, these scientists that then, like, I don't know, like... Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I think before the era of specialization, we don't want to tangent too much on this, but before people started to get really specialized, you know, like Matt, who comes on the show, Dr. Hackoff, he's mm-hmm. he's this expert on the bacteria that caused the plague. Think about how freaking specific that is. Right. Reichenbach is like playing around with meteors and like whatever. <laughs> He's playing around with wood and burning it yeah. and seeing what happens. It's a, it's just a very different Newton, right? He's a theologian. He's playing with gravity. He's inventing calculus. It's just the mind worked differently. I think back then, it's not that they were better than us. It's that they weren't so narrow focused. I mean, really, mm-hmm. honestly. I've toggled in my, I've, I've sort of changed my perspective in, in large part because of the podcast. I think it's probably what I'm most grateful to the podcast for. When I completed my PhD, I was an expert on American occultism in <laughs> the 21st century, really. Mm. It's extremely narrow. Uh, you know, I had some knowledge of 19th century spiritualism and some of 20th century, but American occultism in a very narrow window of time, that's what I knew, really. And that's what you do in graduate school is you get hyper, you know, knowledgeable about this small area. You do get, a, you know, general knowledge to understand that, but mm-hmm. we're really pushed in that direction. These old school guys, though, like I said, they're everywhere. They were generalists in thought. And I think that led to more creative, more open-minded thinking. So I've tried to become more of a generalist as, you know, a grown-up scholar rather than a baby scholar beautiful well yeah the baby scholars can be quite annoying if they don't reach that point i think if they don't see the big picture and they get stuck in the small picture they're really intolerable to talk to (laughs) you heard it here folks sorry grad students you're gonna be better one day you're gonna be better i love you i love you i love all of you grad students i was there i was you it's it's out there for you reach for that brass ring 
All right, so his wife dies is what happens. This is oh. what, uh, but his, you know, if we were talking about an SPR guy, Doyle or somebody, or Frederick Myers, you know, Frederick Myers was in love with that woman and she died and then he became obsessed with the paranormal or Houdini, whose mother died and he became obsessed yeah. with the paranormal. This is not Makes Reichenbach. Sense. He's not oh. chasing after his dead wife here. His wife dies and he's just like, I'm going to do some weirder shit. <laughs> that's that's all. <laughs> that's all he decides. <laughs> okay. Uh, so... Uh, his patron also died, Count Hugo von Salm Reiferscheid. Uh, <laughs> so Reichenbach just found himself with a pot of money and like nobody watching him anymore. So he didn't have, feel like he needed to be responsible and do responsible <laughs> science. He could just do the craziest thing Fuck he could around. think of. Yeah. So even more. Yeah. Not just, you know, chase after meteors. Now I can do the real crazy stuff. Right. So he bought himself a castle. Step one. I mean, yeah. <laughs> right. right. Wouldn't you? If your yeah. patron and your wife died, you would buy a castle. Who wouldn't? If I just became like a millionaire tomorrow, I would buy a castle. <laughs> yeah, that would yes. be one of the top five things I would do. Because no one's stopping him. He has no family. Right. In 1839, King Wilhelm of Wurttemberg made him a baron for his contributions to science. He was well-established when he began his research into Odd in 1844 and quickly became embroiled in a series of controversies with the scientific community over his findings. Mm. The public also came to regard him with a measure of awe and suspicion, calling him the Sorcerer of Kobenzl, the name of his oh, castle. Oh, that's sickish. Oh, Isn't my God. It? Yeah. That's why you get a castle. So the people... <laughs> Could be like, oh shit, that's the sorcerer in the castle. Right. Or Tesla with his big tower. He was the wizard over there. Yeah. Oh shit, I need a castle. <laughs> or a tower. Reichenbach spent the last decades of his life working with psychic sensitives. He tested them with magnets and crystals and brought them to graveyards to witness the odic emanations of corpses. Oh my God. The word odic, of course, derived from ode or right. odd. He spent his free time wandering the forests around the castle on self-made paths hidden from the public view. This what what a life. This is I love this. What a life. <laughs> However, in the final two years of his life, he ran out of money, fell on financial straits, was forced to abandon the castle with its laboratories no. and collections. Yeah. He ended up in a hotel in Leipzig where he died in 1869. He's very similar to Tesla oh. to me. Tesla also ended up in a hotel at the end of his life. What the Built that big tower that he hung out in, and then he ended up in a in a hotel. Same as Reichenbach. Built this big, you know, castle with, you know, labs and stuff like Frankenstein, and then ended up in a... Yep. In 1844, Reichenbach's investigation into Ode or Odd began when he was asked by a Viennese doctor to visit a woman suffering from intense hypersensitivity to light. Her name was Miss Nowotny. She told Reichenbach that she was able to see everything in her room in dim light. So if you dim the lights, then she can see things. Oh, gotcha. because she's really sensitive to light. So she, gotcha. you know, whereas you and I would need to turn light bulbs on and stuff. All she needs is a little sliver. Mm. Reichenbach, who was interested in the phenomenon of the northern lights at the time, proposed that she look at a magnet, figuring that the poles of the Earth were much like magnets, which might cause the light. Nowatli reported seeing light around the poles of a horseshoe magnet and seeing smaller light on a correspondingly smaller magnet, even though she wasn't told the magnets had been switched. Reichenbach was fascinated by her ability, but her health improved, and unfortunately, with it, her extrasensory power dissipated. So it's like, ah, damn. <laughs> She's feeling much better now. That's the cost, I guess, yeah. 
he began to consult a variety of sensitives, though, who reported extra uh, seeing uh, the magnet glow in the dark with straight flames, they said, extending from each pole. His crew of sensitives grew to 60 different people from all walks of life, including professors and doctors. They also felt sensations in the presence of the magnets. Lower air pressure extended the emanations and water reduced the emanations. Reichenbach, Reichenbach went on to discover that crystals, electricity, heat, friction, chemical reactions, sun, and moonlight all had similar properties. Flowering plants emitted a strong light. A botanist, Stephen Endlicher, who at first doubted Reichenbach's experiments, turned out to be a sensitive himself and succeeded in identifying plants in the dark. Wow. Right? Some sensitives reported being able to see through metal the way regular people like you and me see through glass. Reichenbach had them describe scenery on the other side of metal plates placed before them and was amazed by their success. Reichenbach determined that these people were perceiving the aura, or energy, Reichenbach's phenomena outlining the magnet, plant, or crystal. In order to perceive this aura, Reichenbach had them sit for several hours in the dark to attune their senses. It was a different time, friends. There was no Netflix. No YouTube. Yeah, what else were you doing? <laughs> if, a, if a baron in a castle, though, seriously, said to me, Hey, uh, I have a laboratory in my castle. You want to sit in the dark for two hours and then see if you can see stuff in the dark? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, of course. I'm there. Give me that castle. I can live without Netflix for a while. Hitch up the carriage. We're going. (laughs) (laughs) Later, I might want to wear a little garlic, but I'm I'm there. I'm there. Uh, Later experimenters limited the time in the darkness to a single hour with positive results. So people repeated his experiments. Reichenbach argued oh, that his like other people, yeah, scientists oh, okay, picked this gotcha. up and tried to you know replicate his his findings. Huh. He argued that his sensitives could intentionally emanate the force from their bodies, demonstrating that human bodies possess their own odic aura, mm. so you can project it. I've done experiments like this. Um, Curlian photographs is what they're called, and you hold on to these rods, and they take a picture of you, and it captures a picture of your aura. So this is still, so that's crazy because like now when you think of like aura pictures and stuff, you think of color, like you think of color association, like. Yeah. When I did the curly and photograph, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting that they were doing that, but without color. Well, he wasn't as interested in, I mean, they were seeing in color. Don't get me wrong, but. No. Yeah. (laughs) He wasn't. Everyone was seeing in black and white. Everything was black and white. Everyone was colorblind. (laughs) Um. But he wasn't, I guess, as concerned with it as we have become right. since then. I just think it's interesting that now it's like, because we can do pictures in color, I guess, is why we're so focused on color. Yeah. Reichenbach came to believe that an undiscovered natural force was responsible for these phenomena. I mean, that's what's fascinating to him. Now we're mm-hmm. into the colors. But back then he was just like, whoa, I've discovered this new what thing. Is this thing around you? He discovered it at work with a pendulum, which moved on its own in a bottle when a finger touched the string attached to the bottle top. Picture that. You put the, so you're not allowed to move the bottle, but you just, by touching the bottle top, Mm -hmm. the pendulum starts to, I mean, you've, you've done these kinds of things, Olivia, right? And your occulty work. Yeah. Yeah. Pendulums are sick. Sensitives could move magnets and even tilt tables when he arranged the table so that they weren't touching the actual tabletop, but rather loose ropes attached to the table with the sitters arranged at a distance. I love this experiment because so many mediums have been caught faking table tilting. This is what he did. The ropes were attached so loosely that any effort to pull would yank them off the table rather than move it. Ah, A heated table. Yeah, it's good. Smart. Yeah. 
So all you had to do, though, I mean, he's demonstrating that, you know, if you have this ability, which, you know, maybe you and I don't. I don't know about you. I don't think I do. I haven't tried it. And we could go try it. Let's go try it. Yeah, we should. When we get our castle, we'll set up some tables. So we could at least do it in the theater. So, But you're holding the ropes. The ropes are loosely attached to the table. And you're, you know, feet away from the table. So you can't move it except by Mm -hmm. psychic exertion of what he would call your odic energy. Uh, a heated table moved better than a cold one, and a table could even move where a sensitive when the sensitive placed their head on it. I love that image. <laughs> just, oh my god! Just a medium with their head down on the table and their hands at their sides. <laughs> the table is tilting. <laughs> that would be a meme. <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. Reichenbach determined that this force uh, was perceptible to the sensitives and uh, seemed to pervade nature, and that it was, in fact, responsible for the spectacular colors called the Northern Lights. Getting back to his original question, this, he said, was oh. Ode. Sorry, I forgot the Northern Lights was a... That's what got him into the whole thing. Was a thing, yeah. yeah. Near the okay, end. well, then that brings yeah. back the whole color. Like, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Again, he wasn't concerned with what the colors right. were, but there definitely was color but it's involved. it's interesting. Yeah, okay, cool. Because the poles are the most strong magnetic, you know, force on Earth, that's how he got into the magnets, and then from magnets to plants, and plants to tables, and on and on. So, let's talk about some repetition here. Near the end of his life, he attracted the interest of Gustav Theodor Fechner, who was interested in Reichenbach's sensitive ability to move a compass needle. At Reichenbach's hotel, Fechner and Reichenbach experimented with his slightly sensitive maid, and she managed to move the needle in some of the tests. If you're going to be Reichenbach, you're going to have a, your maid better be at least slightly sensitive. I just like slightly sensitive maid. I just like <laughs> she just sheds one tear. Is just what I'm picturing. Like she's she's a little sensitive. She's just a little vulnerable sometimes. You this know? tea is lukewarm. Uh, I'm a little offended by that. <laughs> but just I'm not a little, say anything. slightly. But yeah, I don't want to mention it. I'm slightly anyway. sensitive to your feelings as well. Yeah, that does make sense that he would just have a maid right, hanging yeah. around. That's it's know. probably on the you know the questionnaire when you filled it out to to get the job. The resume. Yeah, yes. can, can you see auras in the dark? Yeah. Slightly. Uh, <laughs> no, you're in. I'll take the slightly. Numerous subsequent experiments demonstrated certain individuals' ability to manipulate a compass needle. Henry Slade, a medium investigated by Carl Friedrich Zollner, could not only move the compass but magnetized knitting needles. Franek Kluski, a medium most famous for the paraffin wax hands he produced at seances, so he would just like cause a spirit hand to form in this wax. What? Which, incidentally, paraffin wax was invented by Reichenbach. Anyhow, he could also move the needle with his mind. Wait. Okay, hold on. One, you say magnetize knitting needles? Yes, he could magnetize knitting needles. That was just Slade. Slade could magnetize from knitting afar? needles. From afar? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then. Well, it doesn't have to be from afar. If you just if if I hold knitting needles, well, he's not I won't be magnetized them. later. <laughs> no, I'm just. I'm wondering, is he like? If you swallow them, is he magnetizing them? Just like, with his is... mind. His mind is doing it. Okay, that's he's not yeah. like holding them. Well, he could. He could hold them, but then when he releases them, they're magnetic. That's you and okay. I can't do that. Right. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, Wait, so then I had a second question about the second thing you said, but now I don't. The guy remember. that made spirit hands. 
oh yeah what <laughs> yeah i mean he's a he's i've pretty... never heard you talk about this ever i uh, maybe that was after i taught you i did i did start mentioning him in class but uh he would uh is a fascinating guy kluski and there are people who think they can disprove and that they've caught him in a fraud but what he made hands out of wax you know you can get these sometimes yeah. you know at the, like the people carnival do on stuff. tiktok and shit yeah like the hand like the like cold hands and then they'll like do whatever so it would just form in the wax it would you know project into the wax and then it would hold the form of the wax when the wax cooled yeah i'm fascinated by that so how did that how can you how can you fake that oh i don't even know man <laughs> There's, okay it, it, it involves like sneaking in like mannequin hands and you know that kind of okay, stuff yeah, yeah all that sort of business but but that wasn't what Reichenbach was interested in, so we don't but need to prove made... that. He could uh, move a compass needle with his mind, though. That was something that Reichenbach... Well, not Reichenbach, but said he but made that, that wax or whatever. He, well, yeah, he, Reichenbach invented paraffin. Yeah, he discovered it okay. as a byproduct of carboniz- carbonizing wood. So there's oh, a weird right. connection there. Okay. Yeah. Wait, that's so weird. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Dozens of others also demonstrated the same skill in various experimental scenarios across the Western world. The SPR tested Reichenbach's findings on luminosity around magnets at the urging of the co-discoverer of evolution, a guy that I just mentioned, Alfred Russell Wallace. A committee tested 45 people by turning on an electronic magnet, uh, turning, turning it on and off, I should say, in the dark. Two men, who they said knew nothing of Reichenbach's work, were able to perceive when the magnet was on or off. So you're just sitting there in the dark with the magnet. Somebody's flipping the switch. You can't hear him. You can't see him. You don't know when it's on or off. And you just have to, you know, raise your hand on, off, on, off. Wait, why? They could just feel. They knew that the magnet was on or that it was off. This is electronic magnet. So as a switch. Okay. Uh, three people were able to describe light coming off of the magnet similar to Reichenbach sensitives and tell what direction the magnet was facing based on this light. Albert de Rocas tested a highly sensitive hypnotized man named Albert L and found he was able to perceive the light around a magnet as well. De Rocas controlled for psychic impressions by designing an apparatus that placed a magnet in three different states, and he didn't know which it was in until he tested it with a compass. So his guess was that, you know, maybe these people are reading your mind. And since you know what direction the magnet's pointing, you know, they're, they don't, they're not really seeing any kind of phenomena. They're just uh, reading your mind. So he said, well, what if I don't know what direction it's pointing in because I just push a button and it randomly goes a different direction? Then they tell me. Right. So he didn't huh. know. In 1907, Floris Jansen tested 120 people. 13 of these people were able to correctly indicate when an electric magnet was switched on and off by an automated device by pressing and holding a button in their hands for the duration of the time the magnet was on. Whoa. 13 people would press the button accurately for the full duration of the time the magnet was on. And they would release it when the magnet went off. In the dark, they could see it. I almost just, like, wonder if it's just, like, like, are they just connecting to each other? I mean, I don't know. Reichenbach's saying, and these people are trying to demonstrate that they are seeing some energy come off the magnet that's what they're perceiving and that perception is allowing them to accurately guess well not they're not guessing they're they're perceiving and responding Mm. with a slight lag for reaction time the results for the 13 were remarkably similar they're all looking at the same magnet they're all pressing the button at the same time wild 
It gets wilder because we're moving on to Hippolyte Baraduc. While Reichenbach's work suggested the existence of a paranormal force pervading nature, it did not necessarily indicate anything unique about the visible properties of the human soul, which is what we got started with here today. In 1913, Hippolyte Baraduc published his account of how he'd captured what he understood to be abstract images of the soul in The Human Soul, colon, Its Movements, Its Lights, and the Iconography of the Fluid Invisible. I love this book, by the way. It's a long-ass title. Well, you know, it's a early 20th century, 19th century title. True. Baraduc was a medical researcher on the staff of the Salpetriere Hospital. He argued that there is a fluidic invisible that becomes visible through its own intimate, luminous, and intrinsic force. This cosmic life or odic fluid is not energy, heat, or electricity, but it can give birth to these things. So it can produce energy. But we're like way past like ectoplasm, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you know, kicking around in the background, you know, as one of the original theories about this. Ectoplasm really, though, to me is that this energy is pulling matter and that's what's creating ectoplasm. The energy predates the, you know, precedes the ectoplasmic whatever. The ectoplasm is just the stuff that somehow comes out of the atmosphere. But what is pulling that stuff together would be this odic energy. And and again, Hippolyte Bayarduk is not saying that, nor is Reckenbach. I'm just sort of trying to connect them. They're talking about the energy at the heart of this phenomenon. Right. I just think of like a haunting in Connecticut. It's like what I think of when I think of like. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's whatever the energy is that's moving things or, or what have you. Yeah. There are four centers for our cosmic fluid body, the cerebral, the cardiopulmonary, the gastric, and the genital. Each center has its own radioactive zone of vibration. The fluid body is our astral body, which mediates between the soul and the physical body. So this is a little bit theosophical. The right half of the body exerts an attractive force, and the left half exerts a repulsive force so that they cancel each other out. So we have balanced... We're like magnets. We're like magnetic So we're like magnets, therefore that's how we can... Balances our... Pick up on magnets? ...odic energy. Well, some of us can. Oh, okay. Well, when so what does that mean about those people? Like, are they equally the sensitive? The same, like half and half, like yeah. I, w- I mean, maybe magnetic, they're imbalanced. I don't know. I don't, Baraduk doesn't comment on what it means to be a sensitive in that way, but uh, yeah, maybe, maybe they're a little bit imbalanced, which allows them to see we're too balanced. I'm guessing. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just wondering, but. You don't have the answer. No, I don't. To measure the activity of our fluidic astral body, Baraduc invented the biometer, a needle hanging from the end of a cocoon thread, not twisted, which demonstrates forces of attraction and repulsion through interaction with the human soul. That's just a pendulum. Yeah, basically. Yeah, it's another one, another version. Uh, What's his face? Reichenbach stuck it in a bottle. Uh, Now, my man, uh, I mean, it's a pendulum, but an extremely sensitive one because it's a cocoon thread and a needle. So it's very lightweight. That's kind of crazy. Why the cocoon thread is just some. He wants to keep it as element. light as possible okay. so that you know, when your soul, which theoretically is not exerting a whole lot of physical force, gets close mm. to it, it'll cause it to move. Gotcha. Baraduc experimented by having the vital force through the hands of the human being interact with the needle while it was suspended in a bell jar, which was in turn covered with aluminum and mica to control for the influence of body heat and electricity. So, I'm sorry, everybody stuck, sticks their pendulum in a jar. My oh, mistake. 
okay. yeah, cause there's a lot of things, you know, you, you do have your body heat, you have, you know, the airflow that gotcha. just from moving your body, all that sort of stuff. So he's got to control you to move that. the pendulum through the jar. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Using your, your energy. You should get a jar for yours is what I'm trying to say. Well, I feel like a lot of times now the way you think of a pendulum like working is that you're using not necessarily your own energy to find things, but like a something else. Yeah. Something else yeah. is guiding you, so that's why it's kind of interesting. Yeah, my men are more interested in your stuff. Makes sense. What's in you? Science and yeah. what they're studying. Because if something else is moving your thing, ah, oh, damn, that's a complicated question. What is that thing? Oh, yeah, that's man. not. That's, that's too complicated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can say it's coming out of you. That's at least we have a, an origin place for it. Right. The biometer showed the relationship between the material and astral bodies. A weakness in the material body precipitated strength in the astral body. Go back to Reichenbach's oh. Mrs. Nowotny, or I think that was her name. Uh, she wasn't feeling too good, and so she was sensitive. But when she felt better, she wasn't so sensitive. The more oh, physically weak you are, the stronger your spiritual sense. The meek shall inherit the earth. The more the material body is lacking in force, the more the vital body makes attractive appeals to the cosmic life which surrounds it, and with it establishes an intimate and harmonious exchange. Faraduke extended his experiments with the biometer into photography. In 1907, he photographed his wife Nadine 20 minutes after her death and captured an image of three white clouds hovering over her body. Okay, that's morbid, but <laughs> yeah, right, well, right. Okay, yeah, guess yeah. he was. Well, my grandfather died. My grandmother had pictures taken at the uh, what you call it, the viewing. That was a thing too, yeah, though. People like used to back do that. Mm-hmm. In the yeah, there's so many pictures you can go to antique stores and find just dead Victorian children. <laughs> it's terrifying. Baraduke, though, um, I think he did this on purpose. I don't think he was doing this, you know, for himself. I think he was doing it because he really right. wanted to capture an image of his wife's soul, and, and he, I think, was hoping to. That's kind of It's kind romantic. of romantic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Aw, this will, this will make a great, I don't know. <laughs> at least to you and I, I guess yeah, it's we, romantic. We, we'll watch this movie. Yeah, Lifetime. <laughs> it's a Lifetime original movie starring that girl from Full House. So um, from this experience, he developed the idea of psychicones or images of the soul captured on photographic plates. Do you so, say psych? Psychic Psychic cones. Psychic cones, like ice cream cone, but psychic. Literally like psychic cones. Yeah, psychic cones. Baraduk produced them by exposing photographic plates to a research subject's hand. So you just get your hand close to the plate and we get your aura or, you know, your psychic cone, which is a little bit different from auras. Baraduk used mythological terms to define the abstract images he captured. So it would produce these weird abstract images uh and when when he's just sort of like trying to get the exposure of your soul on the plate and so he would come up with these funky names for them there was the veil of isis the web of persephone and the cloak of tanith he believed that ancient mythology reflected truths and forces of nature which technology was now demonstrating scientifically through his photographs, Baraduke attempted to capture extreme emotional states and also extrasensory ability like clairvoyance. A boy in mourning for his dog showed on the photograph with a cloud around his head. Oh, it's, it's sweet. A woman my heart. Yep. D- diagnosed as mentally ill showed a strong predilection for clairvoyance in her photograph. So certain things that would show on the image would show that you're clairvoyant. And so when he photographed her, her mental illness 
to him in the photograph also indicated that she had some psychic ability. Love that. Through this work and engagement with the literature of the Theosophical Society, particularly Helena Blavatsky's Tripartite Soul, which I mentioned earlier, Baraduke developed a typology of these otherworldly forces from the universal to the individual level. So all things are like this, therefore we can say this about you. Drawing on Reichenbach, he created his own definition for Ode. The individual soul is part of the universal soul. Its separation from the whole makes of it a special individualized form. A particular center, which is in communication with the universal cosmic life in such a manner that the vibrations or reactions of the cosmos or those of our cellular vitality affect each other as if the cutaneous surface were only a fictitious limit between the universal force of the life and the individual force of life. Mediating between the ode and the individual soul is the somad, or fluidic specter, and living luminous double of the material body, which is subordinate to the soul. Remember, friends, this is the doppelganger series. That is a mouthful. Yeah, your is your somad is your flu. I'm saying that one more time: the fluidic specter and the living luminous double of your material body, subordinate to the soul. So, so doppelganger it's your doppelganger yeah absolutely (laughs) it's it's your fluidic body yeah it respires by drawing in the cosmic forces of the ode and emanating the forces of its own ob ob or projections of the will or psych obe the obe and psych obe are essential for reigning in and subordinating the astral forces of the universe to the individual's intelligence so inside of you is this fluidic body that's breathing in the energy of the universe and then expressing out your own individual psychic energy. Like you breathe in and out, in oxygen, out carbon dioxide. Hmm. He explained that astral light connects the heavens and the earth and is the primary occult substance or vital force. When subordinated to intelligence, it becomes functional and creative, but left to its own devices, it is self-destructive and would consume all of creation. This light is not spirit itself, but it touches spirit, which acts on, modifies, and multiplies it. So we got the spirit inside of us, then we have this body, then we have material body. And we can't let the mediating body get out of control. The individual soul is a particle of the universal soul surrounded by the cosmic fluid it has collected around itself during its existence. In many ways, the soul forms its own cocoon in the form of the somad and of the material body, animating matter through its energy and will. In one of my favorite quotes from the text, Baraduk says that life is before all a rupture of immobility. Damn. Yeah. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Everyone just think about that one for a second. Yeah. Huh. Everything is stillness. Everything is, you know, no movement. And then life ruptures that that stillness crazy if mumler and hope were discouraging frauds then reichenbach and baraduke were in my opinion if you can't tell inspiring investigators their discoveries much like meyer's work and other mysteries explored under the auspices of the spr linger as unexplained phenomena unlike the findings of traditional empirical science they depend on some subjectivity In Reichenbach's case, we must rely on the reports or abilities of specially endowed sensitives. Not just anyone can perform these feats. In Baraduke's work, we must apply our own subjective interpretation to the images he produced. 
Mumler and Hope make us worry about too much involvement from the human side of things. We are much more comfortable studying humans as material specimens than as complex beings because our complexity includes a capacity to dissemble or lie, like Hope and Mumler did. But Baraduke's psychicones and Reichenbach's ode are complex by definition, bridging the realms of objective evidence and subjective experience. This is a legitimate site for the production of new ways of knowing, but one that is generally excluded from the strict confines of what is defined as legitimate inquiry. There is too much philosophy, too much interpretation, too much variability for these findings to be entered into our general scientific understanding. They point to metaphysics that make strictly materialist science uncomfortable and offer a glimpse of a world humanity as a whole has only barely begun to explore. Oh, I love these guys. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. Final thoughts? Uh, I feel like my my little orb is pretty weak. Uh... <laughs> you need to respire more of the universal energy. Yeah, I... You Into know... your somod. You need that psychob to get its, get its somod on. I don't know. <laughs> and that's... Oh, God. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, this guy, Baraduke, my goodness. Yeah, if, if y'all are just, you know, having a weird night, yeah, yeah, you can search up Baraduke. That's it's public domain. Speaking of which, our sources today. Nicholas Pethy's Psychicones, Visual Traces of the Soul in Late 19th Century Fluidic Photography uh, in the journal Medical History. Michael Noms, the sorcerer of Kobenzoll and his legacy, the life of Baron Karl Ludwig von Reichenbach, his work and its aftermath in the Journal of Scientific Exploration, Arthur Conan Doyle's The Case for Spirit Photography, Harry Price's Cold Light on Spiritualistic Phenomena, Olivia's favorite for the day. And Hippolyte Baradux, The Human Soul, Its Movements, Its Lights, and The Iconography of the Fluid Invisible, Paris Librairie Internationale de la Pensée Nouvelle, 1913. I just want to quote Baraduke before I have Olivia bring us on home. Just one more Baraduke quote. To wish to limit the work of creation to the domain perceptible to our visual faculty would certainly be only to aspire to know but one very narrow stretch of the vast world of creative power, which we are permitted to explore even though we could approach the stars by an object glass or magnify the infinitely small by lenses. Seek out the invisible friends. That's what Baraduke wants you to know. All right, Olivia, bring us on home. Hereby, oh my God. You're right, adjourn and declare closed. Yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> I hereby adjourn and declare closed this meeting, the secret order of alchemical actors, till such time as we get together and do it again. God. I want to thank uh, Sean Priest, Luke Kinneman, Brandon Walls, uh, Andrew Mims for their contributions as our voice boys. My name is Dr. Rob C. Thompson, joined by our grandmaster, Olivia Literal. That's me. I'm back. I'm here. She's back, and we'll be back again in our doppelganger series. Just you, though, not your doppelganger, right? You know, I can't really control that bitch, so <laughs> she wants to come along like she does. If she doesn't, she does her, so. Just tell her to speak into the mic, that's all. I'll ask her, but. <laughs> None of that, you know. that backseat commentary. Okay. <laughs> Uh, where are we at? Next time on Occult Confessions, we will be talking about, uh, I don't even know, alternate universes maybe? Just hang out. Oh, see what happens <laughs> here on Occult Confessions. Bye.